0: Please be seated. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your love for us. We ask that this morning you would open our hearts that we can hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, One of the things that I really enjoy most, especially about springtime, is to do a little turkey hunting. And uh, for many years, uh, Pete Roski and I have gone turkey hunting, and it's a great time to get away for a little bit and uh, spend a little quality time with a good friend and just relax. And so uh, I really enjoy that. And this past week, we were out on Monday, and Monday was a, a frosty morning. And there was frost in the grass, and we could kind of see our breath. And I don't know if you've ever been in the woods in the springtime, very early, before before light. But uh, if you have, you know that it's not a quiet place like you might expect. The The birds are waking up, and, and uh, you hear, you know, woodpeckers really uh, hitting the trees loud. And you, we heard an owl this week, and, and occasionally you get to hear a turkey, if you're lucky. And... Uh, so it's just very loud and it's fun and it, you feel like you're listening into a private uh, sort of chorus and uh, very fun. So we were out this weekend. Uh, we saw the sun come up and it was painting you know, beautiful colors on the ridgeline across the valley. And far off in the distance, it was a clear day. We could see the windmills over an eagle. And down in the valley, the mist was rising off the river and it was just a beautiful, beautiful scene. And so we kind of stood there for a little bit and watched that, and, and, and I thought to myself, God, you are awesome to have made this beautiful scene. And, and, and at times like that, you want to thank him for being who he is and for being so creative and for giving us the ability to appreciate it. And I need moments like those. They're clarifying moments for me. They help me to gain perspective and to refocus. Because I often feel like I have this nearly infinite capacity for making my life be about me. The things that I do, the roles that I play, they're good things. I'm a husband, a father, a son, an uncle, a youth pastor, and maybe slightly less significantly, but still important, a video gamer. But even as a Christian, knowing what I know about God and His sovereignty... I still have difficulty in the middle of my busy daily life keeping proper perspective on my purpose in life and the awesomeness of God and His power. This is one of the reasons that in Daniel chapter 6, when a pagan king named Darius has an experience with God, his response is striking. You could look with me in your Bibles at chapter 6 and read with me, starting in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel From the power of the lions. It's remarkable that this pagan king, the ruler of Babylon, could come to these conclusions about Yahweh, the God of Israel. Israel was a small, broken, and conquered kingdom tucked away in a forgotten corner of the Persian Empire. How did God arrange for Darius to get such a clear picture of himself? Over the past week or so, I've been taking an informal poll of people that I run into. And I've asked the question, what do you think is the purpose of the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Most people have answered by talking about Daniel's faith and trust in God and how that trust was vindicated when he was brought out of the lion's den. And I would agree with one slight qualification. It's clear to me that throughout the book of Daniel, and in this chapter specifically, God is sending a message. It's a message about who he is and how he acts in the world. In this chapter, Daniel and his faith, his life that is completely oriented toward God, is the tool that God uses to communicate this message. When we look at Daniel's life, from the time that he's brought into captivity as a young teenager until the day he was dropped into the lion's den, his life is a picture of a life oriented toward God. Obedience to God's law, daily worship and prayer, Daniel saw his primary role in life as one of honoring and obeying God. The first story that we have of Daniel from chapter 1 is Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're captive. They're brought captive from Israel and put into a training school in Babylon. And there they're served food from the king's table. And now Daniel was a young teenager, maybe 13 or 14 years old. But out of a desire to obey God's law... He approaches the supervisor and with tact and wisdom works out a deal to receive vegetables and water instead, and God blesses them. Daniel consistently makes choices that honor God and show obedience to his commands. In addition, you get a sense from Daniel's life that he did not worship God in order to receive God's protection and blessings. He did not serve God so that he could become wise. He didn't even serve God in order to show God's greatness to others or to witness to them. Daniel served God simply because God is God. He's the creator, majestic, the living God, and he's worthy of our worship. This attitude is found in the story of the fiery furnace in chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are faced with certain death in the furnace if they don't bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's idol. You can kind of hear Daniel's mentoring in those guys' response to the king. In verse 16, they say, uh, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods, or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see the same attitude in Daniel's actions in chapter 6. After he hears about this new law signed by Darius, the law stated that no one could pray to any god or man except to King Darius for the next 30 days. The penalty was death by lions. And according to the law of the Persian Empire, once the king put the law into writing and signed his name to it, it could not be revoked or altered in any way even by the king himself. Of course, we understand that this law, this prohibition against prayer, was aimed directly at Daniel. I'm sure it affected other people, but we know that it was designed specifically to catch Daniel. Look with me at verses 3, 4, and 5. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So then they devised this plan. They bring it up to the king, and through a minor deception, they get him to sign it into law. And look what happens when Daniel hears about the law in verse 9. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Now Daniel had been a part of the court in Babylon for years. And and I would bet that the minute he heard about the law, he knew exactly what had happened. Yet even knowing that he was destined for the lion's den, he continued his daily habit of prayer. It's clear that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not convinced that God will save them, only that he is able to save them. These lives, Daniel's life, completely oriented toward God, enabled God to use Daniel to communicate God's message. A message that could only be delivered through the lion's den experience. Now there's something about this story and about Daniel that often goes overlooked. The usual picture that people have of Daniel in the lion's den, one gotten more often than not from the flannel graphs of our Sunday school, is this picture of a youngish, handsome, muscular kind of guy standing devoutly and serenely in the middle of a pack of quietly bored-looking lions. Something kind of like this. But uh, actually, Daniel was much, much older and probably looked more like this. In actual fact, Daniel was about 83 years old when he was put into the lion's den. You know, when the choice was presented to him, go home and pray or or not, he he may have been tempted to do something like, you know, close the windows so people couldn't see him while he prayed. Or maybe, you know, maybe keep his eyes open and pray silently to himself. But he had behind him a lifetime of obedience to God Daily, moment-by-moment obedience. And this pattern in his life makes it possible for him to make the right choice. Now, Darius sees Daniel as a valuable employee. Not only is Daniel honest and 100% trustworthy, but he's endowed with supernatural competence. He never makes a mistake. And King Darius, with a huge empire to run, quickly picks up on Daniel's gifts and promotes him to uh, the Council of Three, with the intention of promoting him to second in command in the kingdom. So when the other governors come to him and present him with evidence of Daniel's transgression of this new law, he's angry with himself. He too understood immediately what had happened. And he was determined to figure out a way to get Daniel out of the situation. I picture him calling in his legal advisors and working furiously for the rest of the day to try to figure a way out. But the evening feeding time arrives with no solution. So Darius orders Daniel's arrest. And as they put Daniel into the lion's den, we see something important about Darius. In addition to Daniel's other qualities, Darius is aware that Daniel is a religious man. He says to Daniel, and and I imagine he said it without a lot of hope, but he says in verse 16, May your God, whom you worship continually, deliver you. It was no doubt a terrifying experience for Daniel to be put into that lion's den. I imagine that Darius and Daniel had both put many people in that lion's den, and I bet they didn't see many come out alive. So Darius, after sealing the cover of the den, went home and spent a sleepless night worrying about Daniel. He returned early in the morning to find that a living, sovereign God had sent his angel to rescue Daniel. I think it probably took about somewhere between five and seven minutes for this story to you know, cross the kingdom. And probably people received it like you, like you received those emails that you get in your email box that tell a, a weird or fantastic story and say that if you don't send it on to ten people, it will happen to you. It, they probably thought, you know, this is like an urban legend. This couldn't have happened. But soon after that, Darius made the proclamation, official word from the government, of what he had seen and heard. And we discover that with that statement, the story is confirmed for people, and God's plan was completed. His message was delivered. It's my belief that Daniel had a clear understanding of the fact that his life was not about him, that he lived to honor and obey God, and because of that, God was able to use him to deliver his message. The message went, to King Darius, who, after watching Daniel's life, seeing his devotion to God, went from seeing Daniel as a great guy who loved his God to seeing God as a powerful and living God who loved Daniel. The message went out to other people in the empire, to the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians, who were forced to recognize that the God of the Israelite captives was real and living and powerful. And most importantly, The message went to the Israelites in captivity, who, upon hearing that Yahweh had rescued Daniel, would know that God had not abandoned them, that He has a purpose, and that He's sovereign, and it would have given them hope. So, from Daniel's life, we see that a life oriented toward God will make God known to the people around us. It will give clarity of purpose and direction in the day-to-day decisions and the, and the battles of our lives. And it will give purpose to those experiences, the lion's den type experiences that we have. It can help us to understand that when we're going into the lion's den, we can know it's not about me. It's about God. Daniel lived a life of love for and obedience to God. And from this position, he was used by God to change the world. You and I also can be used by God if we will simply obey. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you love us, and we want to be useful to you, Lord. Give us the desire and the ability to worship and obey you with all that we are. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.